All right. Welcome to another take, everybody, whether you're listening to this um, live, I mean, not live, but on in the future in terms of YouTube or Spotify and wherever you are in the world. I think this is episode 16. Um, today, I have a very special guest. Uh, Brie Lafferty is here with us. And um, it was funny because we met last week and there are a million things that we could talk about. <laughs> and so besides being um, a death doula, she's uh, a marketing extraordinaire. Um, she has a journey with myo, I, I want to make sure I'm saying this right, myoclonus dystonia. Did I say that? You right? nailed it. Yeah, you I nailed did? it. And it took me, yeah, it took me a year to figure out how to say that and you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. You got to look at it a few times. Um, and it seems like on this podcast, I've had a few guests on who have shared their miracles of um, self-discovery and self um, uh, cure is really what I want to say of, of disease in their bodies and things that actually are pretty intense and um, that people around the globe have um, are, are, are struggling with actually. So that's like another piece to Bree's story. I said, I wasn't going to do an introduction, but here I am. Um, but I want to give you guys a little bit of background um, before we dive into this conversation, because the reason that I wanted to have Bree on actually, um, which she has done that, by the way, uh, she has, um, cured herself. Um, if, is it okay if I use that word, Brie? Absolutely. Okay. Of myoclonus dystonia. Um, but she is a, she had a, uh, she's a death doula. And I find that to be fascinating, helping people have ease with death, with the thought of death, with the process, with the before death process. And she herself had her own death experience. Um, another one of my guests who's had a death experience, guys. So, I mean, when you have one person and then here comes another person, you wonder just how many people on the planet have had these experiences. So, Bree, um, I guess my first question to you is, uh, and all of these things, I can see how they brought you to this space. How did you, and why did you decide to become a death doula? Yeah, I, I love sharing the reason why behind it, especially at my age, although I'm seeing more and more young people um, in the profession of being becoming a death doula, which is very exciting. For me, it was a combination of dealing with a chronic illness from the age 10 one I thought was going to kill me. I was undiagnosed. They had no idea what was going on for a long time. It's very rare. Still, I think less than one in a million in the world have it. And so I faced my own mortality. I was positive it was going to kill me. Um, doctors didn't know what was going on. It got worse and worse. And so I often thought I was going to die young. Turns out I did. I just didn't know I was going to survive it. <laughs> um so then we go to uh, about 16 years after the onset of my symptoms, and I had a near-death experience where my heart stopped for eight minutes. 
I had this profound, amazing experience on the other side, life after life, what comes after death at this amazing place I knew to be home. It's where we're from. It's where we go. And it was incredible. And coming back was, I didn't get a choice. And I was just very kind of shocked to be back in this 3D world in this body. And it took me about a year to process having this wonderful, profound experience of being pure energy and love back to here, which we know that this life is not full of pure energy and love and compassion. It's also filled with the polarities that are the opposite of love and compassion. So after kind of coming back and getting back into the grind of things, I spent my off time volunteering for hospice. I was so excited knowing where these people are going. And Mm. I knew I could hold an authentic positive energy for them. And part of it was selfish, you know, just getting close to death again and getting close to that world again, uh, really ignited my heart and holding space for people who either were comfortable, excited, ready, or terrified to go to this place. You know, I could hold a positive, authentic energy, but I was working for construction. Go ahead. Yeah. Can I interrupt you for a minute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause you said, you said a couple things. So number one, how old are you? I'm 32. Okay. So, um, so you said something about wanting, you said it was kind of selfish to be back in that place where it's light and bright and you know something else is possible um, on that side, kind of like connecting to that thing. Do you, what's your take on death and birth? Do you think there is something, a similar energy with these two processes? Oh, absolutely. And I absolutely love birth doulas. It's funny because people all the time tell me, oh, I couldn't do what you do. Or, wow, you must be so strong or, you know, just just a sense of overwhelming emotion like, whoa, that's really powerful. Yet I, I could not be a birth doula. I could not be responsible for birthing someone into this life or helping with that process. Um, it is the same energy, you know, we're, we're coming from source into this experience and leaving this experience going back to source. But there's veils on both ends. So when we come into the world, we're forgetting where we're we're from. And as we're exiting the world, we forgot where we're going. Mm. So absolutely related. I love birth doulas. I'm so passionate about them, as well as the death doulas. I think they're instrumental in helping families and individuals with these major transitions. They're the two biggest transitions we experience. And so, yeah, I believe they're very much related. And the Uh, magic is there on both ends. I love that you use the word, the way you describe the veil on either side, that you're, you're forgetting when you come in and then you are, however you said it, you're not remembering where you're going. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So do you, do you think um, this is a little off topic? I, I guess it's not, but so do you think that um, a part of where we are on the planet right now, like energetically and in 2023 with all of the things going on in the world and people being more open to these death, having conversations about death experiences and birth and energy and miracles. And um, do you think that 
part of why we're here right now is to remember? So that is a very complex question. Mm. And to answer an earlier question that you had in the intro, uh, near-death experiences, it's assumed to be one in 10 people have one. Mm. And uh, it's widely underreported. And those that do report it, about 25% of them have a distressing near-death experience. Just for some statistics for you, I've uh, been very fascinated on that research. Um, It is becoming more reported and more widely acceptable. And as a death doula, I am fascinated with the history and the culture of death, dying, and the afterlife and those belief systems around it and the religions around it. So it turns out we as humans go through cycles where, you know, where we romanticize it, we get excited about it. There's cultures also who pretty ma- maintain a pretty consistent closeness with death, like uh, Dios de los Mortes. You know, they bring, they, the veil thins for a couple days of the year and they welcome their ancestors and the dead back to join the living. Uh, you know, there, there's cultures that still practice the closeness of death. And then we have our Western culture, which you and I exist in, that has been terrified to talk about death. We push it away. We, you know, someone gets sick, we send them to the hospital. Someone dies, we call, you know, the coroner and they come pick them up and whisk them away. Where, you know, even generations ago, grandma would be on the dining room table and you would pay, you know, pay homage to her body for a few days. So it's really this shift up and down that you see with the belief of death and dying and talking about it. Um, so I really don't know if we're in a special, you know, time that, oh, you know, we're here to remember, we're here to awaken. I feel like Western society is re-catching up. Uh, many cultures are quite immersed in the spirituality and the reaching behind the veil constantly. And so I, I think Western culture is just re-catching up in my Mm, opinion. Cool. Yeah, great. Um, So with the death doula um, piece, um, how has, how has, well, let's talk about the pragmatics, I guess, first. Okay. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, what are, what are kind of the things, what are the, what are like the steps or the processes that you offer people as being a death doula? Yeah, so I've been offering anything from helping you fill out your advanced directive, either with you or your spouse together, because many times your medical power of attorney is going to be your spouse. And so I start as early as you want an advanced directive. My first one was in my early 20s. I, once again, I would face my own mortality as like, if something happens to me, don't keep me on life support forever. (laughs) So, um, you know, I, a lot of, my clients are my age when it comes to that regard and filling out their advanced directives, making sure they have a voice in case of accident, especially in the last few years where we've seen, you know, these sudden deaths and, you know, accidents are always possible car accidents or sporting accidents. Um, You know, people die all the time doing the things they love, like rock climbing, skiing, snowboarding, jumping out of planes, boating, you know, et cetera. So just having a voice um, if something happens is really important to me. 
And then all the way up to helping you plan your funeral, your vigil, whether that's living post-death, what you want that to look like, how you want your body to be treated. I do a lot of education and all the cool ways that you can treat your body or have your body treated once you leave it, as well as grief and bereavement for people who have lost loved ones. And that includes respectful post-death home reorganization, you know, helping Mm -hmm. you with that balance between not creating a shrine and not destroying everything and just moving it all the way and holding and preserving that memory in a respectful, healthy way. Um, And then hosting memorial activities and, you know, bringing the life and the memories of your loved one back instead of having it be such a hard time. There are tears, but a lot of my memorial or anniversary activities are very, very beautiful. Mm. So all that. And then of course, um, you know, when the active dying process, I'm there to help you face your fears, face your regrets, uh, um, embrace your triumphs and your successes. If you want to leave a legacy and you haven't done so, I can help you with legacy projects. And that could even be before you're actively dying. I've been helping a lady in her, I believe, 60s uh, leave a legacy project for her grandchildren. So kind of just everything that deals with end of life topics and challenges. Now, I don't I'm not an attorney, so I don't help you with the estate planning or the financial power of attorney um, and, you know, some of those more legalistic parts. But I anything that retains to your autonomy and your body. I can help you with. It's so beautiful to um, have you offering this to people um, in the sense that like, I guess, I guess my question is what has, how do you get people to, and I, you know, it's not like we, we, we're trying to change people. We can't change people, right? Yeah. We all know that. Mm-hmm. So, but how do you get people to see this in a way that could be generative for them, generative for them, for their bodies, for their families. And then in terms of the different ways that you can have your body cared for once you leave it, what are your, what are the the kind of latest and greatest, the newest things that could be kind of more nurturing and sound a little more yeah, I was going to say fun, sure. but I won't yeah. say that. <laughs> I think they're fun. Okay, good. <laughs> so I'll say it. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think being a death doula appeases to people and my clients because I am a support person. So I, like you said, I'm not here to change anybody. At most, I'm a reflection. I'm a mirror. So I've had some deep conversations with some clients that is a reflection into their own spirituality and their own beliefs. And they have a deeper understanding. And then uh, working with me, they also strengthen their relationships with family members, Mm -hmm. you know, discussing, you know, different options of how to treat their body post-death. Like if you have two polar opposite kids, one is very holistic and green earth and, you know, wants a very natural like burial And then you have a very religious child that is Catholic and you're not supposed to desecrate the remains. You're supposed to, you know, go through all these steps, um, you know, to make sure your body and your soul is ready for entry to heaven. 
um, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, what speaks to you? Do you, and what do you want? So, uh, one of my clients had these two kids, which is why I could come up with the example. And she really wanted the natural, the natural burial. She thought that was very fun. It aligns with who she is, but she realized it would destroy her Catholic son and she raised him Catholic. So, um, I worked with her and we kind of came up with a great idea. Um, her one son wanted to release her ashes in a place that was very meaningful to both of them. It was a waterway and she's traveled the world. So her ashes would be released into the world. And then her other son, very, you know, Catholic, uh, you, you know, you can't leave the cemetery. You need to be buried in the Catholic cemetery. And so we kind of devised a plan that would make them both happy. So Mm. um, using a natural memorial type of thing to release in lieu of her, in lieu of her ashes. And then her, her body can still be buried at the Catholic church and her other son can release something that signifies her ashes and her, and her essence and her life. And she loved that, um, that kind of balance and um, compromise. And I think, I think she's talked to her sons about it now. I'm not quite sure, but I think I haven't heard any negative freaking out feedback. So um, I'm also, she's, go ahead. Well, that's, that's such an interesting point. I mean, that is, that is so true that in a sense, um, I mean, it can really tear people, families apart for the person who is the one who's, who's dying or, and you know, and she's not, she's pre-planning it sounds like. So who knows who's going to pass on first, (laughs) but (laughs) um, you know, in looking at the, and, and looking at that though, a lot of times it's the person who's actually dying or the person who wants to get organized and have their, their wishes, um, carried forth are, are, are the ones who are at the effect of people in their lives and, and it creates all this stuff. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having a death doula on board can help you navigate those difficult family conversations and those polarities and those conflicts. Um, mm. You know, I'm, I'm sure she would have figured it out or her, her kids would have figured it out. Um, what, my big goal here is is helping you pass and transition, knowing your family has a good idea and they won't be freaking out, and it reduces the stress and the mess for them on their end. So it's half about the individual and half about their family. Honestly, these yeah. advanced directives are about the family. Uh, yeah. It provides legal protection and an idea. Like I don't know what she wanted and or he wanted, and here you have a document. Here you have. Uh, conversations ahead of time. So it, it causes a lot less stress, a lot less mess, and it really allows the families to grieve in a, in a healthier manner. Um, but the fun part <laughs> is all the fun ways you can um, treat the body after death. So you have your traditional funeral and cremation. And for a lot of us, we think those are the only possibilities unless you're in that community where you research a lot of green alternatives. If you live a pretty green holistic lifestyle, then you're more up to knowing about these alternative methods 
just like if you live a more holistic alternative lifestyle, you're probably involved with a birth doula um, and more likely to become involved with a death doula. Um, but you can also do a thing called water cremation or alkaline hydrolysis, which is where they use a combination of water pressure and low heat to basically liquidize the soft tissues. What is left is the skeleton structure, which they then take out and pulverize and return to you as white ashes. It's also called white flame cremation, even though there's not really a flame. Uh, the water is heated to about 200 degrees. The next one is you can human compost a body. So you can turn a body into soil and that soil can be used for just about anything except for to be used in a garden for food for human consumption. So that's <laughs> a great legal addition they added because, you know, people are like, oh, no, are people being used to use people? My mom actually said that when we first when she first heard about it, she's like, oh, are we is that like cannibalism? Is that people eating people? but you cannot use the soil of a human composted collection for food gardens. For, for your tomato plant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can use it for memorial gardens, for specific plants, uh, farms, you know, um, stuff like that, as long as it's not used to grow food for human consumption. So I love to highlight that asterisk many times because <laughs> a lot of people really worry about that. Uh, you can also, there is the only legal open air crematorium in the U.S. is in Crestone, Colorado, which I find absolutely fascinating because I'm in Colorado and I've started this death doula journey and I'm only three hours from the only legal open air crematorium in the U.S. It's um, very beautiful. They have cheap packages, I mean, comparatively to your normal crematorium, which is about $5,700 in Colorado. They have packages as little as $300 at Crestone. Wow. And I think their most expensive package is 800. It might be over a grand. I'm not sure, but between 300 and $800 and you get the shroud, the stretcher, the pyre and a beautiful little ceremony outdoors. Wow. And for people yeah. who like, I, I needed clarity on that when you told me about that. So that's, so can you, is that like you're burning the, the body? Yes. Out, outdoors. Outdoors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like yep. they do in India, I think it is, or other countries where you're, I, I mean, don't quote me cause I'm, I'm not. Yeah. But I thought you could, <laughs> and then go out on the water. You, you can put people out on the water or am I making that up? Um, so I've researched that because I, you know, these Viking funerals is what, yeah. um, I have not found any actual legal ones that they do this anymore. Okay. Okay. Um, so the closest thing I found to it led, led cause I'm fascinated. We gave my grandpa kind of a Viking funeral, a faux Viking funeral. Um, that research led me into finding out you can be buried out in the sea. You have to be three nautical miles off of the U.S. shores coastline, and um, it's covered under the EPA MRSPA permit. So you can go on to the EPA and look up the burial at sea and read what's all in included in that permit. 
and it gives you all your rules, your details. You do not need to tell anybody as long as you follow the guidelines. So you can use that either as a crematoried or cremated remains or as a whole body. Um, they just have different restrictions and rules and things you need to follow for both, both of those options. You can also be buried in your backyard. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it is completely legal to bury someone in your backyard with the restrictions that you do need to call your planning and zoning board. There are 10 states where you're not allowed to do this due to space restrictions. And you can find that online easily. But Colorado, it is legal. Just wow. call your planning and zoning board. Yep. And they will tell you how far away the body needs to be from roadways, utilities, water, and streets. Oh, and probably how deep, and probably how deep you need to bury the per the body. Um, I can tell you how deep you need the body <laughs> to bury the body. Um, between 18 and 36 inches. Okay. And that is deep enough to create the smell barrier. So there's no scavengers that will attack the body <laughs> and, bury, and dig it up. Um, and then no deeper than 36 inches to promote uh, the speed of composition. I could also recommend you get a um, mushroom burial shroud. Mm. The burial shroud is made of specially bred mushrooms that help with the decomposition of soft tissues. I've, I've, I've heard of those actually. That's fascinating. Yes. I, like, I wonder how our listeners are doing out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you can be burned or like all these visual that's going on. Okay. So now I want to move on to, cause guys, the thing about it is, is that, um, I, you know, I just, the more that we are able to talk about these things, it's so it's it creates such a different energy around this topic and we're it, it's it's inevitable for all of us at some point so for me it's like why not why not um explore this in a different way and maybe flip the switch in how we think about death and dying and the process because when we ignore it if we pretend and ignore it that's when shit does hit the fan that's when arguments break out in families that's when people are unprepared that's when things are so complicated when they don't have to be complicated yeah my big passion is normalizing death talk and making death talk life talk. I love it. I, <laughs> I, I do. So, so I want to talk now about the different, um, you, you talked about like a, a living, I don't know if you even used the word funeral, maybe you did, but can you talk about the different ceremonies, things, etc., that you share with people that are possible? Yeah, absolutely. So I absolutely love living vigils or living funerals. Um, they're the same thing. They're just different words. So I am very passionate about planning these and conducting these, helping people plan them, teach them how to conduct them for themselves even. Because why wouldn't you want to hear all the great things people are going to say about you when you're dead before you die? You know, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful way to help somebody transition you know, these are um, especially powerful in people in hospice, um, not necessarily so much in people who have had these random accidents and go suddenly because how do you plan for something you don't know about? But people in hospice, this is especially powerful for, and it, 
I can see the sense of relief and joy that comes over their faces, you know, just getting together with their loved ones and reminiscing, sharing stories. It, It just provides such a huge amount of peace for not only the individual who's transitioning, but their loved ones and their friends there. Um, a kind of living funeral was done for somebody in Canada who was severely, he was severely terminal and it was legal to take the end of life into his own hands, um, through, it was legal for doctors to help at that point. So he actually set up meetings with a bunch of his friends and spent a week, you know, he, he told them all his plan you know, he was going to end his own suffering through the help with doctors on a certain date. And then they got to spend a whole week, you know, rejoicing and reliving and celebrating his life instead of mourning his death. So uh, they're just super, super powerful. I'm very passionate about him. And it seems to create a, a easier transition for those grieving as well. Um, it seems to have a softer impact on them instead of waiting until they've passed and, you know, reconnecting and telling stories at a funeral, you know, where it's very heavy, it's very hard. Where here you can cry, you can laugh, and you can do that together. Mm. Wow, that's really cool. So you're having the the ceremony, you're getting together before the person passes. That's why it's called a living ceremony or a living funeral. Yes. Yep. Wow. That's cool. because they're still living. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. I love that. Um, what do you say to people who, um, who like what tools or what do you say to people who know that their loved one is maybe in a quote unquote better place or, but they're not in their body anymore. They're not, they're not there. Can you talk about that and how you also talked about going back to the very beginning, how you wanted to work with hospice people. And we talked about the light and the energy that you're aware of with the death process. How do you, how, how do you, um, how do you come to terms with that when it's so light and bright in so many ways, but yet they're not there anymore in their body. Yeah. So the first part, the first question, um, I actually got asked, I think a week or two ago when I was giving a death doula presentation, what do you say to somebody who's grieving? I have found not saying anything is the best, just mm-hmm. listening. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do I have to say? I, you, they, they've probably heard it all. You know, they've read it all. Um, and if they haven't, what are you going to say that's going to change, change their mind, change their hearts, change their feelings? I think the best thing you can say is I'm here, you know, I'm here for you. I'm listening. Um, you know, just being present and hearing them out. And one, one example of this I give is for people in the workspace who've lost somebody and their colleagues are so scared to talk to them and, or, you know, ask them, you know, anything. And they just want to kind of avoid it because, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, trigger something. But the thing is, they're, you know, they're still stuck. Their memory doesn't go away. They want to talk about it. They want to talk about, you know, the memories of their lost loved one. They want to talk about, you know, the things they used to do with their dad. The memory is not going to die whether you talk about it or not. So 
I found just letting people talk is the most powerful or if they don't want to talk, just, you know, be there with them in silence, mm-hmm. um, hug them if they just want to cry. Yeah, good. You cannot underestimate the power of a good hug. <laughs> um, so I think that's the most important thing when it comes to someone grieving is there's nothing you can say except for I'm here, you know, um, I'm here. I'll listen. And um, when it comes to being in that space with somebody who's dying and transitioning and there's so many cool stories from hospice nurses and end of life people that, you know, they witness miracles and they witness there's a similarity, you know, lost past loved ones will come to get them and they'll see, they'll see old relatives, old pets. Um, they'll sometimes get this burst of energy and you're like, Oh, they're doing better. And it's actually the sign that they're very close to passing. Um, but holding that energy for the person transitioning is beautiful. Although most of the time I found, especially most of my work was done in the memory ward. Mm. So just being there holding space and holding energy was, you know, uh, it was an honor. You know, they're kind of in their own world anyway. So <laughs> they didn't pay me much, uh, much mind. Um, but their families, that's, that was the hard part. That's why I decided to become a death doula is because in hospice, at least the hospice I volunteered in, um, they they trained us a bunch for the patients. They gave us almost nothing on how to help or deal with the family. Mm. And that was heartbreaking watching the family lose their loved ones. Um, so once again, just holding space for them a good hug being there to listen was extremely monumental. And of course, you know, it's this polarity, you know, I I know where they're going and it's exciting and it's beautiful and they're going to be out of suffering. They're going to be out of this, you know, program, this construct that we're in and this 3d. And at the same time, there's, you know, so much hurt and loss that comes with it. Um, Once again, it goes to the veil, you know, we forget what, where we come from, where we're going, the magic. Um, so we have to deal with these 3D world and these 3D emotions and this physical realm. And it's, you know, it's an interesting polarity to feel, but that's who we are. We're humans. We can feel both at the same time. It's excitement for the individual and, you know, heartbreak for the ones they're leaving behind. Mm, beautifully said. Um, uh can you talk more about your death experience and what, what would you like to share? Yeah. Um, so like I said, my heart stopped for eight minutes and um, it, it's a really interesting thing to feel your heart stop, but very peaceful, especially when instantly you are released of your body. And I immediately ended up in this, black, velvety, fuzzy love. It was just pure energy, pure love. And I realized I was with the creator and I call him the creator. You can call religions, call him God or other things. Uh, not naturalists will call it the universe. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the source. And I asked, I was like, for a second, I thought maybe I was dead. 
And so I had that thought and three monks passed by me and gave me a smirk, like, if you only knew. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> reflecting on that, yeah, I've said that probably a, a hundred times and only right now have I realized it's because I wasn't dead. There is no such thing as death. Mm. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I think that's what the monks uh, were, were smirking about. Like, there's no such thing as death. So if you only knew. And then I went through this amazing tunnel. It was this vibrant, bright blue and around me swirling and going at like supersonic speed or ones and zeros. And my soul is being downloaded with this code that I knew was super important and was, you know, the answers and it'd come to me when I needed it. And then I ended up in this other area uh, with more math and realized that the universe was created with math and programs. And uh, I met a, an, an, um, a being behind me. I didn't see what he looked like, but I would compare him to the essence of Jesus, Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha, you know, these teachers, these masters that come to teach, try to awaken humanity back to, you know, where, where we're from. So it was that empowerful master teacher. Um, I then spent a majority of my experience in a place that was just filled with pure curiosity and joy. And the mo the second I had a thought, it would happen. So I saw these other beings sliding down trees covered in snow. It's like, oh, that looks fun, but I don't think I like snow. Instantly it turned to lush green and I'm sliding down these tre giant trees like I'm Tarzan. And I realized that these other beings are sliding down with me, but what if they like snow and they're actually experiencing sliding down snow while I'm experiencing sliding down green and we're having our own experiences simultaneously together and separate. And it was just like, wow. Um, I played with having different forms of bodies. I met other, and I say other beings because I'm not sure they were ever human. I don't know if they, where they came from, where their, what their souls lives have been like. Um, I just knew there are other spiritual beings in this place that I was. Um, and the place that I was, it wasn't really heaven. It wasn't hell. It was more like a holding area and just kind of a resting area. I know there's um, other levels, I believe, um, in experiences, including heaven and hell or whatever your um, spiritual life and knowledge tells you what they are. Um, and yeah, we just, I had so much fun. I tried flying. I was awful at it. I ended up severing my arm, watching it regrow with numbers. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, there was no pain. It was just like, Oh, that's weird. <laughs> what? That's like incredibly vibrant. I mean, that's so detailed. Yeah. You remember everything. Yes. I, I remember it even better than I remember what I was doing 10 minutes before this call. Wow. Um, I remember every aspect of it and it was over six and a half years ago now. Um, everything is still very detailed. And every time I think about it or talk about it, I'm almost reliving that experience. It is so clear in my mind, like nothing else has ever been. Um, it is more clear than a memory, um, more clear than a dream, more clear than really anything. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm.
It is beautiful. It do, it does seem like when I listen to people who have had stuff downloaded to them, you know, people will say that they they had a download or they had um they they've had experiences not not with the death, not through dying, but through through other things coming through them and whatnot. Okay, other beings or whatever you want to say, but it just seems like it's always clear. Like they always remember mm -hmm. it. It's because yeah. it's on a soul level. Yeah. Um, and an interesting thing is why do these near deathers and these people with spiritually transformative experience, out of body experiences, mediums, psychics, why do we all remember what lies beyond the veil so clearly? And yet, you know, coming as, as a child, we forget and exiting as an adult, we don't remember. You know, it's very fascinating, except for my only my only guess to that is it's our spiritual not it's our spiritual quest to remember in this lifetime that and, that was that yeah. was kind of the question that I was asking at the beginning about remembering mm -hmm. was mm. was what you just said um yeah, yeah kind of the quest I've, to remember well, yeah like, and I think it's a very personal um a very individualized spiritual experience. Yeah. So um, people who I, I am fascinated by their stories are people with near-death experiences and transformative experiences that have seen their pre-birth plan. Mm. And they put in all these key points in their life. And I believe some of us put in those points to remember what lies behind the veil, mm. you know, where we come from and how to utilize what lies behind there to, you know, live in this, this physical world. Um, you know, and I strongly believe because of these pre-birth plans that a lot of our, you know, experiences, even traumatic and awful ones were, we place there for specific learning. And it's really hard for some people to hear, but then again, I come from it dealing with a chronic illness for 22 years and I dealt with abuse issues and stuff like that. So it's not that I'm saying that because I've had an easy life and, oh, you know, you just chose it. Um, I've seen where, you know, we come from and we think we're badasses and it's pure curiosity and joy. And this gal talks about how her pre-birth plan, she looks at, she, she's in a grocery store and each cereal box is filled with different, filled with different emotions like grief loss and trauma and over there you don't experience that but as a human you get to yeah you get to experience these emotions yeah is um, that part of so the three that... sorry i'm just no, fascinated guys... so is that <laughs> i'm just is that part of the th when you so you keep saying the 3d reality what is that yeah where we're at right now you know what does you, that mean me, for you each other it's so um, in Dr. Joe Dispenza's words, um, matter is the slowest form of energy. On the other side, we are pure energy. And mm -hmm. here we exist in matter, yeah. the slowest form of energy. So the 3D world is the slowest form of energy. It is our human experience. So we are these incredible souls living a human experience. Oh, so beautifully put. I love that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just... When you, when you, if you can know that it just makes our human experience so much different, don't you think? Because oh, yeah. it, 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 like you said about the cereal boxes and whatnot. Um, I mean, 
it's, it can be hard for people who are having a hard time, or maybe like when you were in having, when you were fully in your experience of chronic disease, you probably would uh, give, want to give somebody the finger if they were like, yes. this, is, this is part of you your journey. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you, you planned, this was part of your plan, you know? Yeah, but- definitely. You know, being in it is so difficult and, you know, because we're immersed in the, the senses and the feelings and, these feelings we're not used to experiencing like we we do as a soul. We come here to experience them, but we forgot that. So it's like, why am I experiencing this? Why do I have to deal with this illness, this trauma, this loss, this abuse, this life, you know, um, in the middle of it, it's very difficult. And, you know, even, I guess, even young in my 20s, I young in my 20s, <laughs> younger in my 20s, um, you know, I, I kind of knew it, it was my soul's purpose. Like I knew it was for a reason, but I had no idea what reason. And it, I would, you know, crunch my brain and be like, now what in the, what in the freaking world could this possibly be about? Well, hindsight of course is more than 2020. And I could see exactly why everything in my life happened the, the way it did the time it did and everything just, but hindsight's 2020. So looking back, it's like, Oh, I needed that. Oh, that's why that happened. Oh, you know, but in the middle of it, it's hard. It's very hard. It's like, no, I didn't. I would never choose this. You know, we think we're badasses. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That's all I could say. (laughs) Um, Okay. So we don't have a whole lot of time and, and I, I'm going to ask, I want to, I want to ask this question, um, hoping that we can explore it a little bit before we go. Um, and that is, so with the myoclonus dystonia, you cured that on your own after all of these years, kind of like pulling this all together, um, with the 3D reality, with, you know, plugging our, our little making, I, I, I believe that too. I mean, we all have our own beliefs. Like we've said, this is why it's called another take. This is another take. So take what you want and what doesn't resonate. I also believe that we have mapped out certain points in our life before we came here, our plan, or if you want to say whatever. Um, so to like looking at all of that, looking at the 3D piece and the energetic piece of how really we're so freaking brilliant as energetic beings, but we're in these human bodies. How do you tie that all together and give, I don't want to use the word hope to people, but maybe that's what it is to people who have, who are suffering to know that there is, there can be possibilities for you to change your physical body? Yeah. That's a big question. Yeah. I would love to share. Um, I I'll try to condense it too. Um, I think I've got a pretty good narrative for what exactly I've done and how other people can do it too. Um, so between, so in my near death experience, I came back and I was symptom free for a couple of years and I thought I would, I was cured of this incurable disorder. So I went on my first ever podcast with Jeff Mara and talking about how my near death experience cured my rare chronic illness. 
and, you know, kind of excited, you know, kind of like unsure, you know, like, oh, that's still, I still was hardly like even comprehending that I had this near death experience. I was still dealing with the believing in it. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I kind of went back to the same life. So I went back to thinking the same thoughts, doing the same actions, having the same feelings about those actions. And I re-went into my old program. So I went back to my corporate career, my eight to five, you know, where I had a very set routine, a set of beliefs. Um, so the illness came back, basically. I recreated the program and the, the illness was created out of the program I was living and I recreated it. So um, I didn't know that. I, I had no idea why my illness went away other than it's a miracle and I had no idea why it came back except for, oh, this really sucks. <laughs> and now, now I'm this phony, I'm this fraud, you know, like I told the world that I was cured by my NDE and then it came back and oh my gosh, you know, like that was set a whole nother crazy set of ideas and beliefs. Um, then I got a wonderful life-changing brain surgery for my condition. Um, so yeah, a couple of years after my condition came back, uh, came back with a vengeance and finally a doctor looked at me and said, why has no one offered you this deep brain stimulator surgery before? And, um, you know, just kind of not knowing a lot of doctors, not knowing what the condition is or how to treat it. And the surgery being very experimental, I was finally given the surgery. I exceeded expectations. They weren't really hopeful. 70% 70% on dystonia side, not hopeful for myoclonus. I came out with 90, 95% improvement um, on both sides. So then I realized, whoa, I have a chance at life. You know, not a second chance. I never felt like I had a chance. I was always tired. Symptoms really started flaring when I was 10, just got worse and worse. So I never felt like I had a chance at life until this surgery. Um, and so I was super happy. I, the, the treatment was working fantastic. Um, I was still in the early stages of getting programmed and tweaking. Um, it's a computer that runs a certain amount of electricity to different parts of my brain. Um, so it was still in tweaking phases, but there was a program that was written out of survival at 18. We, I finally got diagnosed. We had tried a bunch of medications, almost everything on the market. And they knew my condition was known as alcohol responsive myoclonus dystonia. At 18, my doctor said, well, I know drinking can, it can help, but be careful. So at 18, I was given the green light to self-medicate with alcohol. And that created a program. So after my surgery, I was like, I no longer need this program. It no longer suits me. I'm going to figure out how to get rid of it. So I was looking into hypnosis and some different meditation modalities and some different things and divinely was hooked up with a coach here in town that had worked with Dr. Joe Dispenza and Bruce, uh, Bruce, Bruce Lipton and Greg Braden mm-hmm. um, and Heart Math Institute and Dr. Joe Dispenza's um, whole, whole thing. And she's like, go to the retreat. Uh, It's going to be in Denver in like three weeks. It's sold out. Go anyway, show up. So I did his intensive progressive courses. I went to the retreat. I got in as a walk-in 
And um, in meditation, I never really meditated. I've done mindfulness meditation, but that's where you're completely going into your senses and you're becoming very much 3D and in this physical world and paying extra attention to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've done mindfulness, which, you know, was okay. It was helpful on occasion with anxiety and stuff like that. Um, and I love mindfulness, but yeah. Dr. Joe's meditation got helps get you out of your body, gets you away from the senses, gets you out of the 3D. So um, I took, he spoke my, he spoke my language. He, I basically, I say he basically gave me a language to get back to my near death space. So while I was, you know, detached from my body, my heart and brain were in coherence. The code from my near death tunnel came to me and started circulating and rewiring my brain. And I knew it's, it was the code I needed to heal myself. Um, so mine specifically had to come with, you know, had to deal with my near death experience and the tunnel and the code that, you know, I was downloaded with, but there are so many different ways to get to that space. Dr. Joe's way is just the way that worked for me. It was the language I needed to get back to that space, but there are so many different modalities that can get ordinary people to that space all the time. Um, Karen Newell has sacred acoustics. There's binaural beats. There's sound baths. There's different types of meditation. There's, of course, Dr. Joe's meditations. Um, There's, you know, monks do it in different ways. Different monks do use different ways, silence. And, um, you know, some, some do chanting. There are so many different ways. And there's no one right way to or wrong way to get to all the possibilities on the other side. That's where you see these miraculous carrying. So this gal that did not have a near death experience regrew a thyroid through meditation. Um, my dad recently learned about a pastor um, who regrew his liver. Um, so this gal had thyroid cancer, completely removed her thyroid, regrew it. I mean, Literally anything is possible once you learn how to reach behind the veil and grab from the quantum. Yeah, that's um, it's yeah. And, and how curious it is how strong our programming is to <clears throat> like when we have these experiences, these unexplained experiences to whether they're near death or, or something else. And I, yeah, it's and then we go back, like yep. we're gifted something, and then we go back, you know, and it's yeah. not, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a program. It's, you know, what culture, family, religion all raises us to be in this construct, in this program. So when you learn how to break out of it, you really become the creator of your own destiny and your own life. Mm. Good. It's a great, I mean, it just like, I'm just like, yeah. Okay. We could just keep going. Um, so you have a couple of books. I would, I, so I want to say one thing about your website too. And, and so I mentioned at the beginning that Brie is a marketing, um, expert and now you do all these different things and, and, I love that you have, so you like you wrote a book, Wired to Be Dysfunctional, and that's about the 
myoclonus dystonia um, journey. And is that the one you wrote with your mom? Yes, we co-authored it. Okay, you guys co-authored that. So that's about the journey there. And then you write, you wrote a book, White Flame, about your near-death experience. And you have a beautiful website. So it's like you're, yeah, you've you've had all of these things come together for you in your business. Um, And so we'll put in a, we'll put um, links and how to get in touch with Brie in the description. And because you do offer all kinds of um, tools and meditations, I think, and all kinds of things on your website for people around the death process and whatever else, right? Yep. Death, death, dying, the afterlife and the spirituality of carrying chronic illness. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, (laughs) I'm just like, well, what else would you like? Is there anything else that you would like to say in closing, Brie? No, I just really appreciate you having me on. I absolutely love sharing my story, uh, mostly because I get wonderful feedback of how it helps other people, Um, whether that comes from the chronic illness or the near-death experience, or just the fact, you know, I love being in the place of helping people through the end-of-life challenges. So I, you know, absolutely appreciate, you know, being, being here and being with you and having this beautiful, wonderful discussion. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun. We kind of went all over the place, which I I mean, I just, yeah, me too. I love it too, because it's just, it's so powerful, you guys. And it really, it really all, um, it all comes together. It all comes together. um, So, so much. So what would it be like, guys, if we were willing to talk more about all of these things, to explore all of these things and um, begin to see ourselves on this planet in a different way? It's so light. It's so much. There's so like you said, Brie, there's so much more possible. And I love that you keep saying to reach beyond and behind or whatever the veil. I love that. It really puts a visual for me, like with the 3D reality and then like, I'm going to just pull this in and. Yeah. (laughs) So I can tell you're just getting started. So I can't wait to see what else you create. (laughs) Thank you. I am just getting started. It's a the beginning of launching and I'm so excited to help the world. I have a save the world complex and uh, I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, really appreciate you being here and we will see you next time on another take.